Hi, I'm Christina Dennis, and you are listening to The Recovered Life Show. Every week, we bring you a Recovered Life discussion about rewiring your brain and how understanding your brain will help you fully live your best recovered life. Remember, addiction is a life-threatening condition, and the information in this discussion is provided as a resource only and is not to be used or relied on for any diagnostic or treatment purposes. This is not a substitute when professional diagnosis or treatment is needed. Now let's jump into the discussion. Hi, everybody. I'm Christina Dennis, and you are in Recovered Life Discussions, Rewire Your Brain. Uh, I think I know most of you, but for the replays, I will uh, you know, establish myself. I am a sobriety and recovery coach who specializes in codependent patterns and letting go of traumatic um, you know, childhood years to have the best recovered life. And the room is, as I've said, rewire your brain. Uh, I'll give you a little idea of the format. Um, it is a discussion room, uh, which you know, usually we follow. I bring in some information uh, based on some study or text that I've been reading about, and then we discuss it. And everybody is welcome to come up and share their thoughts. I uh, appreciate you all coming at the new time. Today I needed to be flexible, which is something that I've learned <laughs> in recovery. Um, a few ground rules. This is on replay, so <clears throat> in order to assure everybody's comfortability and safety, please use first names only when uh, sharing. And also uh, share from you know, the terms of uh, respect and you know, complete openness to everybody's opinion. I've never had to do it, but I always like to let everybody know that all opinions are respected. And if we, if somebody is struggling with that, I will remove them. Um, last week, I brought up uh, a book that I am reading for a second time called A Liberated Mind, The Essential Guide to ACT. And ACT stands for Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. Uh, and it's very, very uh, heady text, but I think there are some beautiful gems in it. Like I've said, I, you know, this is my third time reading it. Uh, and every single time, like, we could spend four years uh, investigating this procedure. But it's a 35-year-old program. And the author of the book and the head of the study is Dr. Stephen Hayes. He is a PhD in social sciences. And he also is a recovering addict, as well as somebody who has overcome his uh, generalized anxiety, anxiety disorder. And so I think that it's really, really important to kind of look for things in all different ways so that, you know, the point of having a rewire your brain room is so that we have knowledge and are able to exchange knowledge, knowledge for all of us that are in recovery. Um, and one of the things that I can say with absolute confidence is that it never ceases to surprise me reading new text and new books and seeing how much uh, of the common practices in recovery, whether you're 12th step or going through another way to stay in the community, how much we actually apply a lot of these um, theories. And I think that it just is a beautiful thing for us to be able to stop once a week and talk about uh, different ways that we can help our brain, understanding our addicted brain, 
and um, can have some real good tools in order to live um, the best life that we have. Um, it goes without saying that once you have addressed the physical addiction, I think that there's plenty more that we can learn from each other. And I am a seeker of knowledge and always just want to pass along um, the best information that I can. And last week, for those of you who weren't in the room, I suggest you listen to the replay because we had a wonderful conversation about this approach that um, the ACT approach that is based on psychological flexibility, which I just love that word. Um, and I think that it's the gold standard for recovery. Uh, and it certainly has been one of the uh, one of my uh, cornerstones of my recovery over, you know, since 1997 about being opening, open to learning. And uh, so I shared some of the, the tenets of being psychologically flexible last um, week. And I think that a lot of people had some really beautiful things to say about what that looks like. And I am going to share some of the second half of just the first chapter. So um, I uh, stumbled across this book from a client, actually, a couple of years ago, who had, who had picked it up but was struggling with the text because it's quite, I don't know that this is the right word, but it's quite thick. There's a lot of information in, in here. And, and so uh, I picked it up out of curiosity and since then have just been enthralled with some of the real tips that show us and uh, that they set forth in this textbook about it, um, about what it means to be psychologically flexible and how we need to stay open and curious. And I shared some real gems about psychological flexibility and you know moving toward the pain because so often our biggest dreams are hidden in the pain. And if there's one thing I know about my own uh, addiction was I had no interest in moving toward my pain when I was out there using. Uh, I had no interest in looking at my own stuff, but I also had this kind of black and white thinking um, and it was going to kill me because even after I got sober, um, I was so I was acting out so badly in my codependency that I was still suffering from some of the physical ramifications of addiction, you know, two years sober, three years sober. So um, I think it's so important for us to share about it. And um, and I think that these that words matter. We spent six months, maybe six months, maybe a little longer going over uh, the Atlas of the Heart book a wonderful series where we actually dove deep into language around our emotions. And even though I agree that feelings aren't facts, they are incredibly important. And the core messages uh, that I received prior to getting sober was to run away from, um, <laughs> run away from anything that felt like it was troublesome. And I didn't have any tills, skills, excuse me, to turn toward it. And so having these flexible skills is, has been incredibly useful for me, where we are able to 
turn towards something that we're feeling. We have good language around it and we're able to kind of take in more evidence. You know, black and white thinking is uh, so dangerous and they have a new word about physical, psychological rigidity, rigidity, which I think is just a fancy word for black and white thinking. And so, you know, psychological rigidity at its core is an attempt to avoid negative thoughts and feelings caused by difficult experiences, both when they occur and in our memory of them. And one of the ways that this manifested in my life for several years before I was willing to look at the trauma was that, um, you know, I had this belief on top of another belief, my parents did the best they could. And for some reason, that black and white thought precluded me from actually grieving some of the trauma and addressing it. And so I want to share a little bit about the six tenets um, that make up this ACT program and that show us how we can pivot. Um, every time we turn away, and this is so true for me, every time I became incredibly codependent or acted out my food addiction, body dysmorphia, compulsive debting, um, I was trying to run away from my pain. And this book describes what and who is in charge of that thinking. And they call it the dictator within, which I just love. I mean, I think that truthfully, all recovery and any coach out there is about actually um, learning how to be in charge of your own brain. But what I love about this program is that it actually does talk about developing a muscle, a spiritual muscle that allows us to take in all of the things. You know, I, I've been taught living life on life's terms. And to me, that means 100%, you know, 360 degrees of actually what I'm going through. And uh, so in the beginning, uh, they talk a little bit about why we need psychological flexibility. And I think that every point that they bring up is so, so important. And there are some things in this book that I feel are a little uh, on, on point. And then there are some things that I think uh, it's a little, uh, you know, some, some viewpoints about medication and stuff that I'm not sure that I 100% agree with. And so I want to say at the top, um, if you are struggling with anxiety, if you are struggling with, um, you know, depression and it has become a, a, a trait of yours versus a state, then I absolutely want and, and uh, implore you to get help um, and to get more help uh, than just what we learn maybe in our first program of recovering from addiction. Because... It is, you know, we don't know what we don't know. And we don't really have any idea of how many messages are sent to us, whether you have an alcoholic brain or not, that are encouraging us to walk away from our pain. Um, we've had quite a few really great conversations about toxic positivity and how much that can hurt us. Uh, and one of the main uh, tenets of my recovery program and my coaching program is to go beyond, you know, just that black and white thinking. So I thought I would share today uh, very quickly what, um, what we need to do if we find ourselves in psychological rigidity. And I think that, you know, I said this last week and I'll say it again. I think that um, addicts 
kind of have a leg up on um, some of the other, you know, quote, normal or non-recovering spaces, because we know that we must look at life on life's terms. But if you've got a, a pen and you want to take some notes, I'm going to describe the part one of ACT uh, research and the things that we need to do, and there are six that help us step away from the voice of the dictator and really um, explore all of the feelings that we're having. Because whether you like it or not, we will always have fight or flight. And we talk about freeze and fawn in the other room more often, but that means that your nervous system, no matter what your thoughts are having, no matter how much you tell yourself you're safe or do some of the CBT and some of the things that we do in peer group, there is more that we need to do in order to grow this and to grow our flexibility. So they call this the flexibility pivot and I want to describe each one of them. So the first step to moving towards psychological flexibility is something that they call diffusion. Now diffusion is not a real word. They've, they've made it up but it's really important to understand that most of us are literally operating in our life with cognitive fusion, which means we're buying into what our thoughts tell us, taking them literally, word for word, and letting what they say over-determine what we do. You know, and, and if you are a spiritual junkie like me, you're always checking out things, you will see that this is one of the cornerstones of any kind of enlightenment to understand that we are not our thoughts. We are the thinker of our thoughts. And I feel like we really understand that because when we were going to recovery, um, our ego and our brain was saying, feed me, feed me alcohol. And we were able to not believe our brain, uh, which was telling us many, in many cases that we would die if we didn't get alcohol. I mean, they have now done studies and understand what alcohol does to our brain. And we still don't know why some people can take it or leave it, but I don't think that's important when we're talking about how we get to live our life. So the word diffusion literally means un, you know, unchecking, unlinking to what your thoughts are. And so it starts with just noticing the act of thinking without diving into it. And so their word for just noticing is diffusion. And I think that this is prevalent in successful recovery already. However, it's so nice to take a few minutes out and write yourself down a list it's, you know, that I have found. I use these nine by 12 cards that I have found so helpful in my recovery because when I am in panic, when I've been traumatized or my autonomic nervous system is taking over, um, I need help and some kind of tactic to move in back into my prefrontal cortex and back into my um, solving brain. Um, the second tenet of moving towards psychological uh, flexibility is called self. And the simplest sense, what I mean, or what he means when he's talking about conceptualizing self is your ego, your stories about who you are, who others are in relation to, to you. Insider stories, we note what is special about us, our special skills, our special needs, and we hope that they will earn us a place in the group. But truly having, um, it's very interesting that they call it terminally unique in AA, and it's gonna be very difficult 
um, for me to explain it, but I'm going to try. Finding out that I am valuable, not because of what I do, finding out that I'm valuable because I exist helps me divorce myself from my ego. Um, knowing that although I have special skills and I have tools and I have, you know, a set, a track record of making through things, I'm still just a person. And I think anybody who comes through 12 steps can realize that the 12 steps do include some type of divorcing yourself from an ego. The alternative is to connect more deeply with perspective taking sense. And so again, connecting with the idea that we are the thinker of our thoughts, not our thoughts, having a sense of observing, witnessing and becoming purely aware really allows us to realize we don't have to have a special skill to be valuable. And therefore it takes the stakes of the game down, right? I can tell you from my personal experience, and I do hope some people will start raising their hands to come up and discuss um, that when my ego was in charge, I made very poor decisions. And, you know, this takes practice. But I think that it's huge when, if you can write down on your cheat seat, self, when, where, when I'm in trauma or struggling to overcome my flight, you know, psychological rigidity, what have I been telling myself and how do I get some perspective around that story? So the third um, tenet is acceptance. I hate this word sometimes. I'm just going to say it out loud. I hate it. But, um, you know, again, if you've come through 12 steps, we all know that acceptance, right, is the answer. And it doesn't feel like it. But it does require us to pivot from experiment, experiential avoidance to acceptance. And so just recognizing that whatever has happened is the way, um, you know, accepting that this is the way life is will help us move into some flexibility. I was very rigid around my son's diagnosis. This was an incredibly painful thing for me to accept. I didn't want to bright side it. I didn't want to pretend that I was happy about it. I didn't want to have a moral of this story and a before and after. And even in recovery and sobriety, I struggled with acceptance. And I, I think it's important when I bring up that word to understand that acceptance is an approval. I don't have to like what I accept. I just have to understand that, you know, this is the situation and I don't have any control over it. Um, and I don't have anything to, to do that will actually um, be able to change circumstances. And when you're working with others, when you're in a peer support group, we can bring these kinds of points up and get gentle reminders that uh, that whether you believe in a God or not, we are not in control of the universe. And I, I know for me that there have been times where just really understanding that has given me the relief that I was looking for. I often tell people when they say they don't know what to do, we look at the options of what they can do instead. Because often we have a list in our mind about what we should be able to do and a lot of times that isn't realistic. 
Um, the fourth one is called presence, and it's where we direct our attention in an intentional way rather than by mere habit. We start noticing what is present here and now inside of us, in and out. And I call, I use many techniques to do this. Grounding, uh, putting my hand over my chest to calm my vagus nerve down, to settle in, and to really be in the moment. And so having this little cheat sheet helps me when I'm in that place of rigidity, because I do believe that rigidity is what brings the pain. Um, it brings more pain, I guess, is the way that I should say it, because there are certainly things that have happened in my recovery that have caused me a lot of pain, and they would have caused anyone a lot of pain. But for many of us, sometimes the extra suffering can be eliminated once we're able to get into our body and move forward. The fifth one is values, and I love this one so much because this is an action step. Choose the qualities in being and doing what we want to evolve toward. Knowing how dopamine works in our brain, knowing that goals um, that are obtained are no longer positive things in our life. You know, once we've accomplished something, the dopamine is gone. The dopamine is gone completely. And so having uh, a set of values and really taking the time to, to understand your actual values, what is important to you. When I work with people that are struggling with depression, they're struggling with anxiety, um, they are running around trying to figure out why don't I feel like I have a purpose, I think it's so much more helpful for us to, rather than put our energy into socially compliant goals, to rise to our values. And values are the chosen qualities of being and doing, such as being a caring parent, being a dependable friend, being socially aware, or being loyal, honest, and courageous. And there are lots of systems out there to help you determine what your values are. But what I love about that and using it as one of my tenets in living is that when I wake up, there will be days where I have energy and I can move toward goals. Um, but if that's the only marker I'm using about whether I'm having a successful life, I know that there'll be days that I won't have it in me, you know, or the goal will be unrealistic. You know, so many holes in that theory to identify my actual value. But if I have placed value on who I'm being, what kind of mother I'm being, what kind of friend I'm being, then every day I can look at, even when there's trouble, even when it's a day that my depression has taken over, I can use that marker to tell me that, I, that, it's, that I'm worth it and that I matter and that looking at the person in the mirror, if I spent my day today being open and honest and caring, that I've had a good day. And of course, the sixth one is where I think a lot of us go to without looking at the other and its action. Um, so it requires us to avoid, uh, to pivot away from avoidant persistence to committed action. And as we continue to build our spiritual muscle, our ability to go through and have psychological flexibility around our pain, to have self-compassion toward it, 
we start to realize what action steps that actually help us get to that flexibility. And I see, you know, a lot of people trying to figure out what the disciplines are that are going to work for them. And all I can say, and I think it's important to know this, is not everything works for everyone. There is not a one-size-fits-all. And if you're feeling uh, confused, let's say you are in 12 steps and someone's sponsoring you and it's not really working for you, or you, you know, what I have found is that people put sponsors on a pedestal and then they use that authority dynamic to feel worse about themselves, that it is so important for you to really take the time, have an accountability partner, but really think about what action can you take every day to move you towards psychological flexibility. And it's so important to know that we're going to slip back into uh, flex, you know, uh, rigidity often in our recovery, that it takes time to be modable and movable. But I love the idea of actually taking these two words, you know, psychological rigidity and psychological flexibility, and making that be uh, our value system to stay open. And so I think that that's probably enough info out of me. Um, I would like to open up the room to, to start the discussion about some of the information that I've presented uh, and to see what y'all think about it. Um, do you see in your life where you have been rigid? All right, Brett, thanks for coming up. Good. Thank you. Anybody Hi, else wants to come up? Hi. So happy to have you, sir, sir. Good to see your bubble. Tell me what's on your mind. Well, I, I really enjoyed what you just presented to us. And um, I make notes and journal when I read. As you mentioned, you, you make some cards to flash back on some things. And I just wanted to share from your discussion entries that I just made in the last couple of days. Um, one of them was acceptance is about working with reality, not against it. And going on, is it the main cause of our suffering, which to me, the word suffering and be restless, irritable, discontent is the way that we habitually react to life as it unfolds, telling ourselves stories that ascribe meaning to events, wondering why painful things happen to us, wishing things were different, and so on. Our suffering emerges when we want life to be different. When we struggle against what is, when we are frustrated when the world doesn't behave the way we think it should, and this causes us more suffering in our reactions, and it just brought that my notes up as I was listening to you, and um, I really appreciate what you had to say, and I just wanted to share that, that I just read that this week, and I thought it was wonderful, and it fits in, I think, with the story and the information you were giving us. Thanks for your time. Absolutely, it does. That's very powerful. Um, and thank you for sharing because I think that just, you know, for me, learning, I can read it, I can write a note, but it really sits in my bones once I hear other people saying yes. And I'm not saying that we deny pain. You know, there's a, a statement out there that says, you know, pain is inevitable, but suffering is voluntary. I'm saying it wrong. I know I am. And I don't 
think that, you know, I've had that done to me where I've been in a really painful moment and someone has gently pointed that out and I wanted to tell them to go fuck themselves. So I hope everybody hears that I'm not saying that we um, cause our own pain, but being able to se separate myself from my thoughts, being able to share them and, and, you know, one of the other tenets, and I shared it last week, but it's important to share it now, is looking toward our pain with openness and self-compassion. So, you know, we're not in the business of just, you know, shoving another black and white thought on top of one that we already have. Staying curious and staying open to our pain uh, can reduce suffering. And so, you know, the example I bring up, of course, is, you know, my son being very ill for years and years, and I did not think that was okay. I did not like it. Um, but I worked on it, and I continued to work on it. I continued to work on accepting it. And as I keep going down this road, even at 25 years of sobriety, I still have to do this work. So I appreciate you reading that back to us. And I think that, that it was really well said. Thank you, Brad. I just want to add one other thing short, is that you discussed um, getting help. <clears throat> and um, I, I, when I was recovering and working through life trauma, my doctor begged me to go on what became a, what is a um, serotonin booster. And I was so against it, but I tried it. And it helped so much. And then I took on getting sober. And once I got sober, I thought, well, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to get off that medicine. And I, I stopped it and it threw me into a tailspin. And long story short, um, I agreed to go back to that. I stayed sober. I stayed with the serotonin booster and, and it, it has absolutely been a wonderful asset to my life. And I was so against it in the beginning. And once I opened my mind to it and allowed that to help me, it has, um, it has um, gotten me so far along. And so I just wanted to add that for anybody that's struggling with that question um, to be open to it. Thank you. Oh, yes. I mean, it's been part of my life for years. And when I first got sober, you know, 12 steps were kind of the way that you did it, uh, 1997. And uh, there was a lot of judgment. There was a lot of what I call black and white thinking on top of black and white thinking. And, uh, you know, I, I am a recovery coach, but I always tell people to go and get that extra help. Like we need that team and you have to do what works for you, period. And my life is much better with a little assistance um, from an SSRI. But it's not just medication alone with us addicts. We're also doing the behavior science behind it. Uh, you know, for me, it's, you know, working on my nervous system, healing my thoughts, doing all that kind of stuff. But I know for me, when I'm in self-will, uh, that's when I'm most destructive. So I just really appreciate you being honest, and I hope everyone uh, hears that there's more help out there, and I want you to get it. Um, thank you again. Chelsea, hello, love. Hi. <clears throat> oh, my goodness. I can relate. Um, oh, my gosh, to so much of Brett's story as well. 
like, cause I was thinking about like what I've been, <clears throat> what I've been rigid on, um, you know, over the past like seven years and more, um, like probably my whole life. Um, and I don't know when you were talking about when ego, uh, was in charge, um, it made me think like, you know, like, well, my sponsor tells me like, you know, I'm, I'm running on self-will run riot. Um, and yeah, like making, making bad decisions for myself and like putting myself in situations I'm going to inevitably be hurt in and self-sabotaging, like taking myself off my meds and, um, like just a lot of things that happen, um, in those states. And then, you know, thinking about the things I've been rigid on and, you know, I, I remember throwing tantrums when I first got into AA and stopped drinking. I remember throwing tantrums like, oh, is it always going to be like this? Like, I'm always going to have to like go to meetings. I'm always going to have to share with people. Like, I'm always going to have to do this. And like, just, um, not being able to accept really, like I could accept that I was an alcoholic, but I could not accept that, that like, it was going to require so much work all the time. Um, and then like, I don't know, it switched in my head. It was just like, yeah, like, this is just what I'm going to have to do. Like, I'm going to have to wake up and pray and journal, and I'm going to have to like, you know, do these things on a, on a daily basis to maintain you know, like my spiritual connection. And I'm going to have to do these things on a daily basis to like maintain my, just my mental health. Holy crap. That's like a whole new recovery that I hit. Um, you know, like, like very similar to Brett, it took me three years into recovery to realize that prayer and meditation and the steps were not going to fix my chemical imbalances. Um, and then only in the last year, you know, I was diagnosed bipolar, um, and you know, you talked about, oh my God, I had to like write it down, but the, um, presence and the values, um, and like getting to a point where, um, it was probably like a month or so ago. I'm very like time blind. So like, I think it was like a month or so ago, my sponsor had me write out my ideals, um, and what's okay, what's not okay. Um, my spiritual ideals, like what I'm going to live up to and, um, it's really changed my perception on like, even like the people that are in my life and like who belongs there and who doesn't. Um, and I think when you were saying like, take the time to work and find these values, like I definitely did. Um, and it took a lot of journaling and like, I'm still kind of like, look, you know, like trying to figure out those things. Um, but like you said, like I matter and I wrote that down, like it's true. Like, and, 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 you know, you talked about like that terminal uniqueness, like I had to like drop that. Um, and I love just the vocabulary of the things like psychological flexibility and, um, the, like, what was it? Psychological fragility and stuff. Like I just was really, um, really, really interested in like the terms because like sometimes you just don't have words for things um, until you hear them like terminal uniqueness, you know? Um, but yeah, I'm just so grateful. So thank you, Christina. Oh, thank, thank you. What beautiful, 
you, you, Chelsea, you always do such a good job of bringing it, you know, bringing yourself and you're a wonderful example of staying open. You know, you and Brett, the shares that I've heard this morning really, really bring me to a place of joy because we are valuable because we breathe. And there's something about that, like I really have to work on that belief. Uh, and I know where it comes from, and I understand it, and I'm not shaming myself for having that belief. But I think our world, in general, struggles with realizing we're valuable, you know, especially if you've come from addiction. It's very easy to come in with, you know, a set of shame and, and doing it. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not advocating for people to you know, go out. I think one of the books, you know, part of the book, because this man overcame his anxiety without medication was he, he kind of lended toward this, um, this trend, you know, and in America, we can't deny it. I don't know about other countries, but I doubt it's very different where people were doing behavior and then had a little medication. And now many people are just taking medication and not looking at the behavior, not looking at what we need to do to heal our, our hearts and to be able to participate. And um, there's just, there's a lot of resistance to it. We live in a dominator model, which means that boundaries are not respected and we're not told that we can have them. And we don't know to question what we believe until we come across other people that are living a little different way. And you just know they are. So you just have to ask them like, why? wow, you don't really seem to be worried about what's happening. You got to know their secret. And I just, I appreciate it. And I'm with you. The more terms I have to understand it and the more places that I'm willing to show up and be honest and, you know, say some of those things that, it's like my ego doesn't get to be in charge anymore. My ego doesn't get to tell me to make up some big persona that is in complete acceptance of all the shitty things that have happened. I have to show up real because I won't be able to survive if I don't. And so I love it. It's, it's really a beautiful place. And you know, I want to share one of the tricks that if people are having problem with that uh, or confused about diffusion, one of the tricks that the book shares um, and that I've used with people is to explain how diffusion works. Um, and what you do is you tell somebody to walk around in a circle in the room while telling themselves that they can't walk around in a circle. And what it does is show you that those thoughts, that's how factual thoughts are sometimes, you know, <laughs> like, oh, wow. So when I tell myself I'm a piece of shit who deserves this, it's as true as me telling myself I can't walk around in a circle. Our thoughts lie to us. And uh, I know that a lot of us have learned about neuroscience, what this room is dedicated to but it's really, really a more complicated discussion and it takes years to seek, but that doesn't mean that you can't have moments of discovery and find relief. So I'm glad that you came in and shared and I'm glad the language worked for you. Lee, thanks for coming up. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing great. Uh, I love the timing. The timing's just been working great today because I just pulled into the parking lot and so I can park the vehicle and uh, actually pay attention. Ah, uh, I, I love, I love the six things. As, as 
so many thoughts popped up as, as we were going through all this. And the first of which is that you're, you're talking about um, resistance and attachment and the, the pain associated with the two. And uh, I mean, I know that, you know, for my, you know, I'll speak for myself. It's like, I know that when I'm getting stressed out and feeling, you know, feeling that pain and feeling the angst, it's, there, it's a clear message for me that I'm, I'm attached to a position, I'm attached to an idea, I'm attached to a concept or, or a condition in my life that I'm just not willing to let go of. And what I know is that if, if, if I want to grow, if I want to you know, improve in my recovery, improve in the quality of my life and all of that, there are things I have to let go of. There are positions I have to let go of in order to move forward. And getting to a place where I can feel happy about that letting go can be a challenge and sometimes it's just writing about it sometimes it's praying and meditating about it you know i had an, an incident crop up oh god it's been almost a month now where i finally really touched and recalled the genesis of my addiction i mean i found that point in my life history where i could point to that point to it and say Yes, that is when it started. Mm. And it was painful to say the least. And there was a sense of relief wrapped up in it as well, where I could go, oh, wow, okay, now, 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 now it becomes clear because it was there was an incident and there was timing and then there was, you know, the condition of, you know, life, situ you know, the life situation around everything that was going on. And whew, such a relief. Right. Actually, I'd like to say, I say everything changed in my perspective around, around my addiction. And so, you know, yeah, that's kind of what came up for me as I was listening, listening this morning. So thank you for all of that. And, uh, and it kind of helped me to reframe a couple of things along the way. So thank you, Christine. I always love, I always love the space. I don't come up and share all the time, but I always love the space. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you so much, Lee. You did a beautiful job of, of communicating. And I just, I think that's what's the most helpful. You know, one of the things that I loved right off the bat is you said, I, I'm just not ready to accept it, or I'm not willing to, at this point, to like it. And I think that's just as powerful as actually being in acceptance. Um, and it, it allows us to separate ourselves from ourselves. It allows us to be like, okay, this is what's happening. And I, I really always bristle against some of the harsh talk that can come out of me, you know, which is you've been sober this long. Why are you still pop? You, you shouldn't be this way. And what I have found is that I never get there faster by doing that. I just cause myself more pain. And 
uh, you know, it might sound like it's a word game, but willing to accept that we're not willing to accept right now is also one of the, the blocks, you know, one of the little steps that I can take toward loving myself. And I love the way you shared about, and that was exactly what I was trying to say a little bit earlier, I think, which is, yes, this takes a long time, but we can come across new awarenesses and then we can look back at our experiences and go, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, I was, that was my ego calling the shots. And I think anybody who has made it to some kind of physical sobriety if alcohol is your addiction or drugs has seen that, has been able to look back and say, oh wow, that was, you know, that was the disease part calling the shots. I'm not a bad person. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to hurt others. Mostly I'm just trying to stop the pain. And, uh, and so I just, I love having a space where people come up and share so freely. I really appreciate you sharing a little bit of yourself today. And I hope everybody finds that helpful. I know I did. Hi, Brandy. How are you, friend? Hello. Very can you hear well. Me? Hi. It's so good to hear you and thank you for what you, man, so much, so much I can relate to. And thank you for all the people that have spoken up so far. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about when you're talking about ego, trying to remember like when I, I come from 12 step program um, for nine years, I believe. And back, thank you. <laughs> Um, I'm thinking back on before that, um, my rigidity, the way that I lived, I grew up super religious and, and rigid. Um, and, and what that did for me was, was kind of held me in ego, you know, in a state of, of ego where, um, I was living so shallow, you know, and, and holding in a fear place. Um, not knowing myself, not knowing um, how to relate to others and just holding in this, this spot of ego and rigidity. And, um, and that caused me so much pain. It caused me so much um, heartache and time uh, away from myself. And, and, and it wasn't until the 12 steps that I, that I got into the rooms of 12 steps that I, could allow myself to look beyond that ego and and find an authentic um deep person you know rather than the way that i was living super rigid and and um and fearful now i could i could see myself in a deep way and i could know myself and i love that you brought up the values and um those are all ways to know ourselves and the 12 steps is so amazing to do that. And, um, and so I just the comparison of living that way and not allowing myself to drop down into like living deeply from an authentic place. That is a, like, it's a prison, you know, and, uh, it kept me away from myself and, and I'm so, I'm so grateful for the 12 steps and the work that I've done and, you know, rooms like this, hearing authenticity, hearing truth, you know, um, things that really matter to me, this, this all matters deeply to me. And, and it just brings my humanness 
to me and, and to the people that I love. And so I just, I love, I love hearing this. I love, um, you know, looking back and, and seeing how far I've come in my recovery and what, um, what gifts that has given me. And I love the word fluidity. I have to remind myself that very often. And, you know, often I catch myself being really, really rigid and, you know, I want to be fluid in life. I want to be able to accept life on life's terms, as I've heard you say. Um, and, and really, if I want fluidity, I have to find acceptance for what is the truth, you know, reality. Um, and it's not easy and, and it's not a lot of times what I want to do and, and where I want to be, but, um, the more I can do that and be fluid and move through life, um, with grace for myself, um, as I heard you say, the more I, I know myself, the more I can give the people I love, you know, an authentic, um, true connection to me. And, and that just ultimately brings me back to me. And, um, and without this work, I, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't know the true me, you know, I wouldn't know my values and, um, I couldn't steer my life in the ways that I would like to, you know? So I just, I, I love this. I love this topic. I love you, Christina, and I'm just really, thank you guys. Oh, thank you, sweetheart. You are brilliant. Um, in case anybody's wondering, I've known Brandy those nine years. And uh, yeah, you really walk the talk. You really do. And I think that it's so beautiful to watch people grow and, and like literally why my life's work is to watch people grow and get this new freedom that we can be i mean when you said it's a prison it is a prison it is a prison that keeps us um in and, and without words like flexibility and openness and self-compassion it's hard to get out of it um you know our ego tricks us and tells us the way to stay safe is to keep performing and to control everything around us and <laughs> we have a lot of messages telling us to dominate and push through and and uh I think that some of the most powerful people I've ever met in reality have been the quiet thinkers in the corner that show up, you know, with the universal, I don't know, casserole dish when the shit is hitting the fan in your life. And, you know, one thing that I was taught years ago before we had some really good words in the zeitgeist like fluidity and flexibility, uh, I had a sage uh, sponsor. I mean, she was, she's just, beautiful human and she always said wear it like a loose sweater and that really helped me having that imagery so for anybody who is saying you know I don't know about that or what I use visuals to help my nervous system catch up to what I want you know I use visuals you know of the letting go process um, I see sometimes when I need to disassociate for that moment in order to get something done, I know to put it in a jar and put it on the shelf and wait until I'm with safe people to share about it. And that's, that's not an exact science, but those are the things that have helped me. And uh, I just really appreciate you sharing 
and coming up. It was beautiful to see you here today. And Tiffany, my friend Tiffany is here. How are you today? We're talking about psychological rigidity and all that goes along with that wonderful uh, way we're trying to keep ourselves safe by being rigid. I love it. My goodness, Christina, it's so nice to see you and be here and have gotten to, I, I'm sorry, Lee popped off. I was excited to hear Lee's share too, is when I came He's in. in the and- audience. Oh, good. Oh, good, Lee. Oh, good. I, um, yeah, I just rewire your brain and recovered life. I was like, oh, I need recovery. And yeah, I, uh, okay. So my sobriety date, 11, 11, 99. And I am grateful for that date. I love that date. And I was told when I came in that that was a good date and I should keep that date. And I was like, yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, it is a good date. I can, you know, God willing, (laughs) that is still my date today. But I, um, I know it is such a, it's a journey. And I know, I feel like, Brandy, it's great to hear you talking about the 12 steps and your experience in recovery because I am so grateful as each day goes by that I stay sober, how much, you know, that book, everything I needed to know, I learned in kindergarten. I, I feel like my, my book's title is everything I needed to know. I learned in AA or I, (laughs) you know, everything I needed to know, I learned from getting sober and, um, and that has been my truth as I, you know, am going through cancer right now and other mountains that happen in our life, you know, other journeys that other things that happen and the control factor has been such a big one. I do love wearing life as a loose garment is what I, uh, the expression I'd heard, but a loose sweater. And also, I also use the visual of, um, of of the river, you know, the river and just being in that flow. And I don't remember exactly the story, but it was basically a story about somebody who was in a river flowing down or, or had gotten... I don't know, it was in in a river, but they were holding on to this branch that they thought was going to save them. And in actuality, if they had just let go of the branch, the river was going to take them out to the end to where they would have gotten saved and been had safety. And I just, even though I don't know, can't recreate the whole story in my mind, I, I think of that often when I get stuck holding on to a branch that I think or a thought or an idea or an expectation I have of how a moment should be that I can let go of that for a moment. And it's not even, you know, and then I also heard what I love Christina and I appreciate this too, is that, you know, when 
I looked at at um, things that I could let go of and and talk to my my sponsor about that. I was like, she was you know was like I there are some things I can't let go of yet, you know. And allowing myself to at least acknowledge that and put them on a list that maybe someday I will, there will be a day when I will be able to let those go. But sometimes when I turn things over to my higher power, they have some claw marks on them. <laughs> As I have <laughs> not always gracefully let go. Uh, you know, I, I think the term makes it sound so graceful and flow and peaceful. It's a great image. But truthfully, for me, some of my things have had claw marks on them. And it has been um, more of that, more of that, more of that. And then, and then, and then pain has come mm -hmm. and they, they have been let go. So I am here. I am so grateful uh, to be in a recovery space with recovered life, living that today. Thank you so much for for the space. Thank you so much, Tiffany. I'll tell you one thing that I heard more in the last recent, I don't know, five years or six years is let go or be dragged. And that's been helpful for me. Uh, just that little phrase. Like, oh, yeah, that's right. Yes. I can. I can still hold on if I want. Nobody's going to make me let go before I'm ready. But uh, I also need those reminders. And real quick, before we go to our last share, hi, Jan, give me just one minute. I want to let everybody know that uh, tomorrow's Setting Healthy Boundaries Room uh, will be happening, although it is my birthday, my belly button birthday, so I will not be here. But uh, we will have the rooms in Recovered Life tomorrow at, and Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific as well as our podcast. So I have the link up there. It's a totally free community. Uh, if you join the community, I see some new people in the room. Uh, join the community, you have access to exclusive content all about living our best recovered life. Um, and uh, you'll be invited to a volley group, which is direct messaging, video messaging, get free coaching. And I hope that you all will check it out and become one of the members uh, because we have a lot more going on than just what we have going in Clubhouse. And it is, all are welcome. And so thank you. And I'm going to turn the mic over to Jan. Hi, Jan, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for allowing me to speak. I actually am not uh, someone who suffers with addiction, but uh, with, uh, severe depression and I uh, decided I wanted to share just a little bit about my journey because I have because I'm frustrated with people who have depression or who are dealing with other kinds of mental illnesses and they don't want to do the work and I admire y'all because I hear people who've done the work, and you know what I mean, because when you talk about having to rewire your brain, that's part of what I had to go through, because even though uh, pills can get me so far uh, in terms of at least changing the chemistry of my brain that causes my depression, it doesn't change all the thought patterns and the negative 
feedback that I am so used to giving myself because of living in that depression for so many years. And I think, uh, well, like you said, your thoughts will, you know, your feelings will lie to you. And that was one of the first things I had to really grasp to go, oh, if my feelings will lie to me, then that means I need to start looking for other things that are causing this and recognize that just because I think someone's rejected me and I want to react in a certain manner doesn't mean that that was actually a rejection. Maybe they didn't hear me. Maybe they didn't see, see me waving at them. Maybe they didn't, you know, whatever. Uh, or, you know, maybe I wasn't invited because that's a particular group or, you know, even if it was a an out-and-out -out rejection for some reason, what does that really say about me? Does it say something negative about me? No, it doesn't belittle my uh, value as a human and what I may have to offer to the world. It says as much as anything about the people that may be rejecting me and that for whatever reason, I wasn't going to be included in that particular grouping. And I know that it was so hard for me to even begin to think about that. And yet, it's only as I've been able to start thinking through those kinds of thoughts and working through that I've been able to best address the um, depression and really move beyond it to uh, live live a better life and enjoy things. So in any event, I just wanted to say how much I appreciated the what I've been able to hear today and the honesty and the forthrightness with which people are speaking because it's encouraging to me to know that uh, just like I've learned that I'm not the only one dealing with depression, that we aren't the only ones having to do work. We've got friends and relatives who deal with other kinds of mental health issues in the areas of addiction and such that also need to do work and that our vocabulary may be slightly different sometimes, but it doesn't mean that we can't benefit from sharing and from listening to one another's stories, if that makes sense. Thank you for allowing me this opportunity. Oh, thank you, Jan. And yes, it makes perfect sense. I think all, all of us who are mental health warriors uh, benefit from hearing everything that other people say. I learn from everywhere that I can. And I just appreciate your forthrightness in sharing. Um, I, I'll, I'll let you know that many of us who uh, have found ourselves addicted to a substance are treating, trying to attempt to treat our anxiety or depression and co-occurring disorders are rampant. And so uh, I think that you 
earn your seat here just like everybody else. And I, I really appreciate you having the courage and coming up to speak. Uh, I hope we'll see you here again. Uh, I just want to thank everybody who came up, Chelsea, Lee, Brett, Brandy, Tiffany, and Jan. Thanks so much for coming up. Uh, we will, I will be back next week with the same room, same time. And if you are, if you need help, if you're hurting, DM me, please. Uh, I, I uh, absolutely believe that this is my mission in life to bring healing uh, to anywhere that I can. And so I'm open to that. We can get on a quick call or I can send you some resources and hit the link up so that you can learn more about the Recovered Life movement. Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life, a community of like-minded people who are looking to live their best recovered lives. Membership is free and you can apply at recoveredlife.us.